Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 25th of January 2015, entitled Engaging the Enemy. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's precious, preserved, holy word. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. Saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. Send him only, and him only shalt thou serve. The devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Father, we do thank you again this evening that we have your word that we've just read from. We thank you, Lord, that we have your spirit to give us understanding. And Father, we thank you that you know the hearts of each individual here this evening. And Lord, though we be physically not well, and though that, Lord, at our very best, that we're incapable of meeting the needs of men, women, boys, and girls, Lord, in their spiritual realms. And Father, we just pray this evening that you would do the work that only you can do. May you receive all the glory and honor for it. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Again, as with many passages of Scripture, there are so many things that we could grasp and gather from these verses this evening, but I want to give you a few things. First of all, as we look at this passage, we are reminded because I guess one of the things that I thought of in reading this, we have been looking in recent weeks in our series on the Genesis account of the first temptation in the Garden of Eden and the first Adam and how he dealt with the temptation when it came to him. And of course, here we have the temptation of what the Bible calls the second Adam. In both cases, the temptation is appealing to self, for self to act independent of God the Father. The first Adam, of course, we know he failed. God had blessed him with everything and all that was there before him. And, you know, what could he possibly be tempted with with the one thing that he didn't have? (laughs) 
He couldn't be happy with everything that he had. The one thing that Satan could tempt him with that he didn't have uh, is what he failed in. But of course, the second Adam, when he's tempted in our reading here before us, he did succeed. And he's the one that restored hope to each and every one of us, to mankind. He came to redeem us from the first Adam's failure. Both were tempted. Temptation in the Bible literally means a testing. If you look up the word, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it in the, in the Greek that's, uh, uh, that's translated here, it's generally understood as an enticement of a person to commit sin by offering him some seeming advantage. In other words, if you will do this, this is how it's going to help you. The temptation comes to try to reach somebody's self, what it will do for them. And of course, it comes from all kinds of sources. We see here that in both of these cases, it happens to be Satan himself. But of course, remember that we live in a sin-cursed world and there's much temptation that can come from the world and we live in sinful, fallen flesh. Much of the temptation comes within our own selves. We're continually exposed to it. James tells us in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. We know that ultimately that's what Satan wants for everyone. Death. Death in whatever way he can get it. His preference is eternal death. His preference is to keep you aside from God until the day that you take your last breath and you have no more opportunity to do anything about that. You know, even as a Christian, he wants death for you too. Death to your success, death to your Christian walk, death to your uh, ability to be able to be that shining light that God wants you to be. He would love to kill you in this life of course, we know that he's not the one that will ultimately decide that, but he is your enemy. Well, what James is saying to us here is that, you know, when that temptation comes that we see in both of these cases, he says that we're drawn away by our own lust, those selfish desires. And of course, when that has conceived, it brings forth sin. When we then give in to that temptation to satisfy that lust, that desire, that's when sin comes. And sin, ultimately, the wages of sin is death. So we find that we know that that's Satan's desire for each and every one of us. But then if we look in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it's very important for us to remember that with the Lord Jesus Christ, what hope do we have? He says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted 
like as we are, yet without sin. We find that there's no temptation that you'll have to go through that Jesus doesn't know what it is like. Now, we find here as we read our account in Matthew chapter 4 that the Bible teaches us that it's Jesus Christ himself, of course, that he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And he goes there and we read the account. We read what Satan does to him. And I want you to notice just a couple of things about this event. First of all, I want you to notice the timing. Sometimes we say, well, you know, when is Satan most likely to come and to tempt me? When am I most likely to have to face temptations in this life? Well, there's a couple of things that I find extremely interesting about this event and the timing of it. If you back up into chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be what? <laughs> to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. You see, this temptation that came to Jesus Christ, first of all, it was immediately following his baptism. May I say to you that Satan is going to want to destroy you at any times, but one time that he particularly is likely to be there is any time that you're willing to identify yourself with Jesus Christ. And that's what baptism is all about, identifying ourselves as a follower of Jesus Christ. Some of the greatest blessings come in obedience when we obey God. And baptism is that first step of obedience that every believer takes. Baptism doesn't save anyone. Baptism is for a saved person that's given their heart and their life to Jesus Christ to say before the whole world, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am who I am. When you stand up and you're identified with Jesus Christ, maybe you go through the, some of the things in your Christian life that are pure obedience to what God wants you to be doing. You find that that's when that Satan will be there. <laughs> Notice what it says in the next verse, verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Not only following his baptism, <laughs> But if you would, following his anointing, following his commissioning, following God, placing his hand upon his son and saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This was the beginning of his ministry here upon earth. We find that Satan came to tempt even the Lord Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> so don't think he's going to leave you out. <laughs> but he came immediately following his baptism immediately following the anointing of the Lord upon his life. And of course, he came during a time of spiritual activity. You might think that it's 
Satan's most likely going to come when you're not doing anything for God. We'll go back to our text. We read verse 1, then, it was, then was Jesus led up in the spirit of the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Notice what verse 2 says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have ever fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. Hopefully you have fasted and prayed in your life. Fasting is something, I guess, that is almost a thing of the past in Christianity today because, again, we don't realize the need that we have for it so many times. What I want you to realize is that when Jesus' temptation came, it came at a time when he had not only been identified with Christ, not only when God had put his seal of approval upon him, but when he was literally in spiritual activity, fasting and praying in his Christian life. He was doing the things that would make him stronger. We say, yes, but this is Jesus. He's God. He's got it all the strength anyway. But yes, here he is in his flesh. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He was tempted here in his carnated flesh after the incarnation. So he was tempted at a time when he was spiritually active, but also the devil came to him at a time when there was a specific physical need in his life. What did it also say there? After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, guess what? You're going to be hungry. I mean, physically, you're going to be hungry. Spiritually, you might be stronger, but physically, he was unhungered. So I just want you to realize that when temptation comes, when you have to engage the enemy, and I guess if we had a title this evening, it's, it's not a new one. We can look at all kinds of different places in Scripture where we could use that, uh, that title, if you would, engaging the enemy, but that's what we're talking about because Satan comes along and Satan is trying to tempt you. You're going to have to engage the enemy. You're going to either have to give in to him or you're going to have to stand up to him. Now, when did he come? He came at these times when it wasn't a time when that he was out doing the things that he wasn't. Maybe you could expect it then, but Satan came even when he was doing the things that he should be doing. But I want you to notice not only when he came, the time, but I want you to notice, secondly, the terrain. The time when he came, the terrain. Where? Did Satan come? Well, first of all, what was it there in verse 1? Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit. Where was he at? He was exactly where the Spirit had led him. You know, sometimes we think that we need to maybe be out of God's will for the enemy to come and attack us. But no, Jesus was exactly where God had sent him, exactly where the Holy Spirit had led him, exactly where he was supposed to be in God's plan. Of course, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was where God wanted him, but he was alone as well. <laughs> he was there alone. Sometimes that's when Satan will come to you the most. When you're with your 
Christian friends and you're in fellowship in the church and you're in all these doing all these things. Well, the thing is, is so many times Satan comes and begins to play on your mind and to attack those things is when you're alone. Jesus Christ was where he was supposed to be. He was where the Spirit had led him, but he was alone. What did he say down in verse 5? Then the devil taketh him up into what? Into the holy city, setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. So first of all, he's in the wilderness alone, but then the second time he is at the very house of God, right there on the pinnacle in the, in the holy city. He was in a, in, in, a, in a spiritually high place. We find that then in verse 8, again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. You see, sometimes... The devil, you might be when you're alone in the wilderness, <laughs> might be when you're right there at God's house. Sometimes he takes you up to those high points when you can just see all the world and everything that's out there. He wants to get you in a place where you can, can see all that that world has to offer. He wants to use that to entice. We find that in all of these instances, it was Satan, different places that he was using. He was using the different things that he could appeal. Remember, somehow when temptation comes, something to entice you to sin, but to entice you in a way that you think that you're going to be better off for doing it. So we see the time and we see the terrain. And we need to recognize that Satan will use any advantage that he can get. It may be when you're out there alone, but it may be when you're right there at the house of God in the holy city, or it may be that he takes you up in a high place where that he gets you to, to look over all the world and all the things that maybe you're missing out on in this life because of being a Christian. The devil uses all these different places to come and to tempt. The time, the terrain, but I want you to notice the tactics the when, the where, and now the how. You see, when we begin to look at these temptations, we begin to understand what God's Word has told us. Notice what he says back in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. 1 John chapter 2 verse 16 says, For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. When we keep that in mind, of course, all these things have in common that self. All these things has that self-desire, that lust that can be fulfilled in some way by these things around us. Attempts to enforce our will and not God's. 
find that, notice what he does first of all, I believe that with Jesus, the tactics that he employs is, what does he say there in verse 3? When the tempter came to him, he said, what's the next word in your Bible? If, <laughs> if thou be the Son of God. What does he say down in verse 6? He says, and he said unto him, if thou be the Son of God. See, again, he is, he is appealing to that desire, but he's making him question, prove who you are. He's trying to cast doubt upon his sonship, and he'll do the same thing with you as a Christian. If you're really a Christian, if you're really a child of God, if you're this, then do that. He wants you to doubt who you are. He wants you to doubt that you are genuinely a child of God. You find that that's one of the great tactics. That's why so many times I could not even begin to number the times that over the years, the pastor that I've had so many people come, they're struggling with that big if, if, if they're really saved, if they're really a child of God. You see, sometimes it's hard for you. And, and, and the hard thing is, guess what? I can't see anybody's heart. Now, like you, the Bible teaches us that we can, you know, tell a tree by the fruit that it bears. We can look at a lot of things. There's times when you might see somebody living a specific lifestyle and, and living a certain way that you say, you know, I, just, I, I can't even understand how they could be a Christian and, and do those things and live that way. Well, the other way around, you see somebody that's living such a, a clean life and such an honorable life, and they're such good people, and, you know, you just, they've got to be a Christian, surely. But the truth is we know nobody's heart. The devil try to make us doubt even our own heart. If, if, that's one of the things, one of his great tactics, when he comes to each and every one of us, people say, you know, they get to doubting their salvation. Well, you know, it's hard because, okay, is it the Holy Spirit convicting you because you've been relying upon some kind of religious, some kind of act that you did, some kind of prayer that you prayed, some kind of form that you went through, some kind of baptism that you had, some kind of something that, that you did in your life at some point that you became a Christian? There are many, many, many people. I believe that one of the the greatest tra tragedies of the church today is that it's filled with a lot of church members that are not really saved. They've got a good dose of religion, and that's it. The church would be accomplishing far more like it was the book of Acts <laughs> if that were not the case. But I also believe this, that there are an awful lot of saved people that have to struggle with these doubts because remember whether you're lost or whether you're saved, he still just wants to destroy you. <laughs> he still wants to destroy you. He either wants to get you out of here before you get saved, or he wants to destroy your Christian walk. So we can look at a lot of things, but I just want you just to grasp that simple thought that even with Jesus, he went to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and tried to get him to question if he was truly the Son of God. If you're God, then prove it. If you're the Son of God, prove this by doing this or by doing that. Prove who you are. 
course, we see something else. Satan's a pretty clever guy. We know, we've looked in recent times at his subtleties and how he works. He's the father of lies. He's the great impersonator. <laughs> he appears as an angel of light. So many things. But give him credit where credit's due. He's clever in a lot of areas too. What's the best thing that you could think to tempt a hungry man with? <laughs> Bread. <laughs> Food. <laughs> Jesus was hungry. He just fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He'd just done a good thing. He'd done something to make him stronger spiritually. But Satan also knew where he was weak physically, and that's where he attacked. You see, though Jesus is God, in the incarnation, Jesus came in flesh as a man. When he was here upon this earth in the flesh, he was to depend upon the Father, and we see that time and time and time again in Scripture. As a human, he was to depend upon the Father. Yes, he performed miracles, but those miracles were for others. Those miracles were for other people's lives. Satan's temptation was for him if he was really Son of God, if you're really a Christian, then surely you ought to be able to do this. You ought to be able to take this matter into your hands and you ought to be able to, to deal with it. You're a hungry guy. You ought to be able to feed yourself. You should be able to use that miracle for your own selfish gain instead of for someone else. But we saw this morning, Jesus didn't come for himself. He came not to be ministered unto but to minister, to serve others, and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, so many times Satan wants you, if you're a child of God, if, if, as a Christian, you got all this confidence and faith in your God, if that's the case, then Use this thing selfishly. Meet your own need. Do this thing. You see, temptation was to step out of that divinely appointed path in order to satisfy that personal need. The temptation was to distrust the Father to meet his needs for him to do it himself. We can look at many things. What I want you to grasp is his tactics here. First of all is the if, the doubt. Secondly, he hits him where he's weak in a natural place, a real genuine need in his life. He comes and he tempts him. Well, if you're really that, then why don't you just turn these stones into bread? That way you can meet that need also, the temptation sometimes is not to doubt God's word, but to take it too far. What did he say there in verse 6? And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. <laughs> Come on. God's going to protect you if you're really the Son of God. Just throw yourself off there. God will take care of you. You'll be fine. You see, 
Sometimes Satan wants you to go beyond the meaning of Scripture. He wants you to take a Scripture out of context. He wants you to take something to prove something. You see, false doctrine a lot of time is not something that's just off the wall that you can look at it and you can immediately say, man, that's got nothing to do. Satan knew God's Word. He's using it against him. He's just using it out of context. He's taking words that God has spoken and he's quoting them out there in a the wrong way. So many times that's the way with the false doctrines. Just a word left out here, a word left out there. A little word added in or a little word taken away doesn't matter. We find that he's speaking of angels. He'll give his angels charge concerning you. He speaks of these holy things, holy subjects. And believe me, Satan is very familiar with them. <laughs> he was booted out of heaven himself. I find that this temptation was to use God, if you would, as just a display <laughs> to accomplish ends rather than to follow God's will for his process to work out. So we find that Satan's tactics, Satan's tactics was to make him doubt if. It was to meet, meet his own personal needs, weaknesses, to take them into his own hands, to take God's promises beyond the meanings of what God meant them to be, to take God's word out of context, to take God's word in ways that it was never, ever meant to be. Of course, one of the great temptations, one of the great lusts, when we think about this thing, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, it all comes back to those personal desires. And, and of course, that's really what he comes back to here with Jesus. When he took him up to that high pinnacle, and he had him looking over all of the world and all of that that was out there, all these things will I give you. We say, well, how could the devil give them to Jesus? He is the prince of this world right now. He's offering them to him in this world. <laughs> if you'll just fall down and worship me. <laughs> temptation for power. Temptation for possessions. Temptation for position. You know, these are those lusts, these are those things that, that turn into sin. Those are those desires that he, that he builds within us. And this is where that, you know, Satan just wants you to pay a little bit of homage to him and he'll offer you all of these great things in the world, these positions, the power, the possessions that begins to take up so many people's lives. You see, so many times, He'll even try to convince you that you can use those things for good. That you can take and use all those things for, for God's glory. If you'll just compromise a little bit here, look at what it can accomplish in the end. Works. Find that it appeals to that sometimes holy ambition even. You know, it's not always getting gain in the world. Sometimes it's actually getting gain in the realms of Christianity. 
that you can do a better job for God in this area. If you can just be willing to compromise a little. It's not really a lie. Just not the whole truth. It's not really compromising. It's just giving a little bit. You don't have to do it the hard way. I mean, look how much easier it would be to do this. Satan's tactics. He comes and he uses all those things just as he did with Jesus. So I'm just wanting to remind you this evening as we look at this temptation to note when it was, the time, when Jesus was tempted. Sometimes... Sometimes, I know, might make you say sometimes you just want to kind of be invisible and get into the background because sometimes it's when you're actually trying to do the most for God, the devil wants to get to you the most. When you're sitting there doing nothing, he's quite happy just to let you alone sometimes. Remember the terrain. Where did he met him? In the wilderness when he was alone at the house of God on the mountaintop. He don't care where you are. He'll use where you are to his advantage, his tactics, to get you to doubt, to tempt you in areas of physical need, to tempt you to take God's promises beyond what God means, whether too little or too much, the temptation to power and possessions and the things in this world, even sometimes for good, for holy reasons. But I want to give you something in closing here. You see, we not only see the, the time, the train, the tactics, the when, the where, and the how, but we also see the triumph, the what. <laughs> what happens in the end? Well, First of all, with God, as we find out here with Jesus, there are no ifs. <laughs> there are no ifs with God. There are no doubts with God. We don't doubt God for who he is and what he is and everything that he said. We can stand firm upon it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. <laughs> Trust him. Trust him. Don't be tempted away. Selfish desires, trust the Lord. We also see loyalty. What do you mean? Well, Satan said he alone is the one that deserves worship. Nobody else. There is no compromise on this. Are we loyal to the king? Are we loyal to him? First of all, do we trust him implicitly? And secondly, are we really loyal to him? Will we stick with him no matter what? Not give Satan any homage whatsoever? And of course, not only trusting in the king, not only loyalty to our king, but what did Jesus use? The mighty weapon. <laughs> We're getting ready to have a conference called the Sword of the Spirit. That's because the Bible says the Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. <laughs> We put all of our battle armor on. 
Because we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting principalities and powers. And that's a battle that's real. And Satan is real. And we will have to bite him. And he will come. And he does want to destroy you. And you better mark it down. You can either be beguiled by him or you can recognize him for who he is. But in every one of these instances, Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. There's not an instance. There's not one of the temptations that Satan came at him with. These are just illustrative. These are just, in other words, examples. There are many, many, many others. These are not the only ways, but we can still see his tactics and how he's working, but we can see the triumph that Jesus had is the same triumph that you can have when Satan comes, when you have to engage the enemy because he will come. There is no question about it. You will engage the enemy, but if you're going to triumph, then your faith is going to have to be in him. You're going to have to trust God. You're going to have to be loyal to him. There is no compromise. You're going to have to use the weapon that he's given you. It is written. You can't go against Satan with what you think and what you feel, even what you know. You can only fight Satan with it is written. <laughs> Too many Christians don't know what's written. The Bible's laying on the shelf all day. They're too busy watching the soap operas and listening to this and doing this and doing all the other and it's laying there on the shelf. They don't know what's written. You say, preacher, you just want us to all be Bible thumpers and Jesus fanatics. I want you to be a strong Christian. I want you to be able to engage the enemy when he comes against you and I want you to be able to triumph over him because he doesn't have to win. He never has to win. Use the word of God. Rightly dividing the word of truth, the Bible says. See, the devil was defeated. How did that finish? Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. God's always there for you. <laughs> the devil will have to flee. Resist him. You'll have to flee. Just don't fight him foolishly. Fight him the way Jesus showed you. Don't fight in your own strength. Fight in his strength. You don't have to give an inch when you're fighting with him. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, we know these are just simple thoughts this evening. Father, battles seem to be raging so much these days. It seems like Satan is on the warpath so much, and Lord, people are just struggling and struggling and downbeaten and downtrodden and sometimes it seems like that he's getting the upper hand so much. Lord, it seems like we live in days when it's harder and harder though we witness and share Jesus with people or that they're so blinded by this world. I pray this evening. I pray that you'd help us to be overcomers. I pray that you'd help us to be the light of this world though we may not be popular. Lord, help us not to be what we would be, but what you would have us to be. We know that Satan will try his very best, Lord, to keep the eyes of them blinded that can't see. 
Lord, he'll try to hinder us in our walk. Lord, to be able to be the witnesses that we need to be. Help us this evening to take these simple thoughts, to engage the enemy in a way that we can triumph just as Jesus did. Help us not to falter as the first Adam in the garden did, but help us to stand strong not only as the second Adam Christ, but in his strength and his wisdom alone. Of course, in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.